Welcome to Crucial Foundations, a program that seeks the foundational truths found in Scripture for every generation. Hi there, I'm Gable. And I'm Larry. We are teachers in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. Let us open our Bibles today to seek those timely truths found in God's Word. Welcome back to Crucial Foundations. Today we want to consider the foundation of assurance through the blood of Christ. How can I have a relationship with God? We need to first understand the basis of the relationship. I must find forgiveness before God. And without forgiveness, the only thing that I will face from God when it comes to judgment is his wrath. So what does it mean when the Bible says the gospel is good news? Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel, good news. First thing you need to understand about the good news is you need to understand the bad news. God wants us to understand his nature. It doesn't change. Matter of fact, the foundation of God is our ultimate foundation of his character. And one of the tragedies today, particularly in our society, people no longer believe in right and wrong. They believe as long as you're sincere that it's right. And that's not true. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. You cannot understand the gospel until you understand his wrath. You cannot understand the grace and love of God manifested through the cross when Jesus came as a sacrifice until you understand his wrath. In order to appreciate heaven, we need to understand hell. And God is consistent. God is one that when we speak of his wrath, it is absolutely consistent based upon principle, and it never wavers. And we need to understand that truth. The book of Romans really is an explanation of the gospel. We've already read Romans 6, 1, 16, and then chapter 1, verse 16, it says that the God, that gospel is the power of God to salvation. Now, if you're logically going to explain that, the first point you need to understand is the wrath of God. And that's exactly what Paul does in the book of Romans. In verse 18, the Bible says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Brethren, we need to see the wrath of God. You, my friend, if you've never become a Christian, you need to see the wrath of God. God is holy. God is perfect. Sin is a falling short of God's will. And God knows every sin. God knows every heart. And God wants to forgive sin. But we need to understand that without forgiveness, God will punish sin. A.T. Robinson, a Greek scholar, made this point about anger. It says God's anger, the Greek word thumos, is his vehement fury or boiling rage. His wrath, orge, is his settled indignation or his settled anger. In other words, God's anger, the, the emphasis falls on the emotional, the boiling intensity of it. And in God's wrath, the emphasis falls on the control, settled, considered direction and focus of its application. But we dare not draw a hard line between them. 
God's anger is never out of control above his wisdom and righteousness, and his wrath is never cool or indifferent, but is always a wisely directed fury. The wrath of God is never less than a perfect judicial decree, but is always more than a perfect judicial decree because it is always full of right and fitting fury. God is not a man. You and I, little things may set our wrath off. We may be angry one day with something, the other day it may not bother us. That's not true of God. God is consistently angry towards sin, and he must punish every sin that has ever been committed unless we find the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Christ. We need to understand the seriousness of God's wrath when we understand the cross and what Jesus tasted in order to keep us from heading to that hell, unprepared to face the wrath of God. You know, there there are so many in this world, uh, ourselves included, I would think, we crave justice, we crave truth, all of those things. But unfortunately, man can never provide those things perfectly. And as as you've just talked about, God is consistent in all of those things. And he is absolutely righteous. He is absolutely consistent in his anger. We've referenced the book of Romans a couple of times. Uh, if you'll now move into the second chapter in Romans chapter two, beginning in verse five, Paul says there, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. That idea of works we'll get uh, into later and flesh out even more. But we have to be so conscious of what we do in this life because God's wrath is real. It is so real. Jesus said in John 3.16, a passage that so many are familiar with, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so many want to just stop there, and that's it, right? Well, if you continue on, and I'm not going to read this whole passage, but continuing on down there, it says Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I think most people would agree with that statement, but he doesn't stop there. He says, in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So again, that idea of works, we condemn ourselves based upon what we do, what we choose to take part in what we choose to do, what we choose to say. We have to be so conscious of those things. Now, again, talking about the consistency of God, God's wrath is always connected to his righteous judgment. It's also cumulative. God is not even going to let an idle word pass from his wrath. If you go over to Matthew chapter 12 in verse 36, the Lord Jesus says there, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word or every idle word that they speak. Now, <clears throat> this doesn't mean we can picture in our minds. This doesn't mean that God is someone uh, who's just waiting for us to mess up at the, you know, at the first moment's notice and say, I gotcha, I gotcha. That's where his grace and his mercy comes in, which we'll flesh out, if not in this episode, the next episode. 
But it does mean that we ought to be mindful again of how we conduct ourselves. Don't ignore the wrath. Don't ignore the judgment of God, because it is a very real thing. And I believe, as we all, we've already alluded to, many wish to deny the fact that there is the wrath of God. Uh, <clears throat> the problem with many is that they see God in light of man's weaknesses. You go back to so many mythologies, so many uh, other practices of religion throughout the world. So many gods are created based upon man's own weaknesses. Um, that's not a God I want to serve. I hope that's not a God that you want to serve. So many try to create a God from their own imagination, and that's going to be so faulty, so full of flaws. And some might even say, oh, God wouldn't do that. God is so, so full of love. He's so full of grace and mercy. I don't think he would ever do that. Well, if you turn over to 1 Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15 and verse 29, this is, we're speaking of God here. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. God is so, so different from man. He is so much more holier than us. He is so far removed from us. And I think we'll flesh that out here in a moment. But one other passage before we do that. In Isaiah 55, in verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Don't trust your own thoughts. Trust the thoughts of God. He is so much more consistent than anything man can bring to the table. It's interesting we talk about your own thoughts. I can remember as a teenager, I accepted a worldly view of sin. And I viewed God as a man. What I mean by that, I didn't know I was doing that. But I really thought that my sin wasn't so bad. I had the concept that if I had my good works outweigh my bad works, I would be okay with God. And I viewed that that way until I seriously was, I was in an accident that wasn't that serious, but it knocked me out, an auto accident when I was uh, in high school. And I thought I died. And the first thing I thought is I'm not ready to meet God. <laughs> I can't remember thinking I'm going to hell. And that, that facade, that stupor that many people live in thinking they know God and just not being very serious about their sin and about understanding forgiveness you see, we need to understand the wrath of God. It will change us when we understand God's forgiveness. It's interesting how Isaiah, who was a man of God, a prophet of God, he had a vision where he appeared before the God of heaven. And the nature of God is mentioned here in, 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 in uh, Isaiah 6. In verse 4, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in verse 5, as, as Isaiah appears before God, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. You know what God does when he was, saw his sin and he was before a holy God? Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken from the thongs of the altar. And then he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. I will tell everyone as you begin your approach to God, think first about forgiveness. 
and God wants to forgive. God is full of mercy. But let's go back to sin. We live in an age where people are now openly mocking the idea of sin in ways I never dreamed possible. They would take some of the vilest sins revealed in Romans 1 and now says, that's simply my identity. Well, God's, God's his holiness it has a nature to it. There is a right and wrong. There are moral things we can do or not do that will create be sin or not sin. And let's just talk about in Ephesians 5, for instance. If you become a Christian, you're going to be concerned with morals whether it be your sexual morality, whether it be your telling the truth, whether it be other things, God tells us a moral standard. We don't just make it up. And Ephesians, Ephesians 5 and verse 5, for in this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And for Christians, verse 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. We have the love of God. We have the forgiveness of Christ. We have a moral standard in which we stand with a passion because we want to be like God and we want to have a relationship with him. One more time, thank forgiveness. We need to understand sin and fight sin. That's real Christianity. And one other thing we want to mention here, but this is so important. What's it like to be without God? If you haven't dealt with the question of sin, you don't have a relationship with God. And there are many people today, like I say, they create, they make themselves God. And I want to tell you, living this life, and certainly in eternity, you do not want to be without God, without purpose. Paul reminded the, uh, the Gentile Christians that had been converted of where they came from. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It was so beautiful to understand God's forgiveness. When you have God's forgiveness, you have a relationship with God. You have his providential care. You can go to him in prayer and he will mold you and let you see what is real and what is not real. Gives you a life full of meaning and sacrifice. But it comes by understanding the wrath of God, the grace of God, and the forgiveness of God. And when I look at the cross, that becomes so meaningful to me. But you see, I've got to first start with me. Have I found the forgiveness of God? Have I seen the seriousness of my sin? Am I ready to meet God in judgment? You know, talking about living life with a purpose, uh, I'm reminded of the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says there so many times that all is vanity, life has no meaning, life has no purpose. But of course, that's without God in the picture. And as soon as God is brought into the picture, oh, it, it, it's a eureka moment for Solomon. He's tried all of these other things without God, but God brings so much goodness, so much purpose. Um, and further taking all of these ideas, it is of great comfort when someone who dies, when they die in the Lord, when they die in Christ, uh, 
I have an older brother that I've never met, but I know where he's at. Uh, he, he died in, in childbirth, um, and I know he's there because God has told me of his innocence. He is, he is innocent in the eyes of God. I have grandparents that have passed on, and I know, I know they are there because they have walked in Christ. The other side of that coin, I'm sure there are, there are those listening in who know of ones who have met the Lord without God. That is a scary thought. That is a sad thought when someone meets the Lord unprepared, when they face death unprepared. If you go over to Hebrews chapter 2 in verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That period of lifelong slavery, sin, being in, sla in slavery to sin, that continues on into eternity. If you do not meet death prepared, you face that unprepared. A place to start is to recognize and to see that God has a plan to bring us out of this prison of sin and to exalt us to glory, to, to heavenly places. And of course, of course, that glory comes from God. It comes from Christ when we walk in Christ. And I think we'll find so many times those who are hurt, those who are suffering, those that have gone through those things, they're ready to listen. They're ready to, to take on anything that would improve their struggle. And of course, the hope that is before us, that is indeed something that is admirable to look forward to. You think about uh, those that were hurt, th those that were uh, preached to by Peter and the other apostles on the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart by those things that they had just heard. And they said, what shall we do? We, we don't want to live this way anymore. We recognize our sin. We recognize that we're lost. And of course, Peter uh, gives that great response to repent, to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Of course, Jesus brings this message. He is the one that, that brings these things. Even going back to prophecy in Isaiah 42, centuries before Christ came, it was prophesied in Isaiah 42 and verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. The Lord wants us to be free of sin. He does not want us to be far from him. He does not want us to be apart from him. But we first, as Isaiah says there, we first have to come to the light. We have to recognize the light is there and to not let the darkness overcome us is a great truth. In your heart of hearts, think about it. Are you right with God? Do you have a purpose-filled life? Does the thought of God bring you joy? Do you love coming into his presence? Even when you have the guilt of sin, knowing that you can receive forgiveness. That is really important. Sometimes, Gable, I think if we are raised in the church with good home and good family, sometimes 
we might not see our sin as seriously as we ought. You talk about those, the, the Gentiles and others who were far from God, and they saw the wickedness and experienced that. Sometimes they can see the grace of God in a way more than the, the, the one who's raised by Christians. That ought not to be. We need to understand the enormity of our sin and the beauty of salvation, and we need to have assurance of salvation. As you talk about salvation, that's a word that, what do you mean? Well, it literally means, if you look at the Greek definitions of it, it means deliverance. Physically, as a rescue from danger, deliverance, uh, preservation, safety. And in the Bible here, it really talks about the, being able to be free from sin. And the idea of forgiven of sin is that we have a path of, of the removal of sin. Jesus said in John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Later, and Jesus was talking to some very stubborn men, and he said this with, with hurt. He wasn't just trying to, to slander them or make so, or just beat somebody up, but he was hurting. They hear these people fighting him. He had the way to save them, but they're fighting him. And in verse 24 of John 8, it says, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. And if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. If it come to my death, and I was said of me, I died in my sins. That's the worst news I could ever hear. And if I had all the riches of this world and everybody loved me and everybody patted me on the back and I died in my sins, that is the most horrible possible end to my life. However, if I had terrible health and people hated me and all kinds of things happened, but I died forgiven, I want to tell you something, I'm rich beyond any man. So I ask of you and me this morning, do I understand how forgiveness comes? Can I say right now, I know I have, I am forgiven. I know I am saved. There's some people say, you can't say that I'm saved. Well, I can. Sometimes that word talks about a present salvation, and sometimes it talks about a future one, and the future one is God's judgment. But I can have assurance I have fellowship with God. First John talks about that. But First John 5 in verse 11, it says, this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Look at verse 13 of 1 John 5. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life. I trust today you can know that. Talking again about the nature of God. Um, really all of this all of this ties together all of what we're talking about the nature of god demands not only that sin be punished but the nature of god demands if we want to have a relationship with him that we have to be like him uh you were just in first john chapter five if you go back to uh, the first chapter first john one in verse five this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's that's the crux of what we're talking about here. Again, forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. If we walk in the light, we attain that. God has given us that sure promise. If you go all the way back to Exodus chapter 34, 
Exodus 34 and verse 6, the Lord passed before him, this is talking of Moses here, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So really what we have here are two perspectives. If you come to God with repentance, he will give you that forgiveness. It says there that he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. But if you do not come to him in humility and with repentance, with that attitude, he will not clear that, that guilty, that guiltiness and those sins that you have committed. You have to come to him in such a way uh, where you know that God is the only way. And just one other thing to point out there, um, as it kind of alludes to in this passage, that repentance is always, always a condition of forgiveness. And, you know, there are those that might say, I can be forgiven without having to repent. You know, I, I'm saved once. I don't have to do anything after that. Or they might even say, I can, talking about our relationships with one another, I can forgive someone in my heart without uh, without them ever showing any penitence uh, without showing a, a penitent heart. I invite you to go over to Matthew 18 and get that entire passage. Um, we're not going to take the time to do that today. That is a great passage talking about God's forgiveness, how we ought to forgive one another, how repentance plays into all of those things. And it is a great lesson for us. And again, please listeners, have the attitude of humility, have the attitude that God offers these things. We can't do any, any of these things for ourselves, but God is the one who can clear all of those things away. In the next episode, we want to continue to develop this. We want to understand what forgiveness is really like, and we will develop even further about how we can find forgiveness and find motivation for that every day we live. This is a great message to learn, and I trust that you'll open your Bible, open your hearts, we look forward to joining you next time. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast to be helpful or encouraging, please consider following and subscribing or leave a rating or a review. If you have questions about anything from the episode or any other Bible questions, you can reach out to us at ncvchurch at gmail.com. We hope that you'll join us next time as we lay another stone in the foundation of truth that God has given us. God bless you.